In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Danzi, today, and we are getting toward the end of a study we've been doing in Romans chapter 12. It's such an important chapter to focus on, and we've basically uh, studied verse 1, we studied verse 2, we've studied verses 3 through 8, and today we're going to be focused mostly on verses 9 through 13. If you haven't heard the other episodes, go back and listen to them, because it really builds the case that Paul is making on how a Christian should live their life. We know that Romans chapter 1, verse, uh, Romans 1 through 11 is basically saying, God, Paul is making the case of, look how good God has been to you. And then he gives us chapter 12 as a gift, so to speak, uh, a blueprint on how to live the Christian life. It worked 2,000 years ago, and it's still appropriate today. Let me share with you Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Now, this is in the NIV, so if you have another version of your Bible, feel free to read along or just listen in. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. You remember the Lone Ranger? He actually wasn't. He had a friend named Tonto that helped him out a good bit. But we were never meant to live out the Christian life alone. You know, some people, when it comes to their faith or their religion, they like to say, well, my religion is very private. Well, Rick Warren challenged us in the purpose-driven life, that our faith in Jesus is meant to be personal, but never private. If he meant for our faith to be private, he wouldn't have said um, for us to be the light of the world, you know, a city on a hill. (laughs) So while our faith is very personal, uh, it's never to be private because it's to be shared with the world. And so this passage of Scripture is really speaking to the Christian on how to get off of the the sideline of life and get in the game. And we're going to look beyond just this passage today to make some sense of what all is being said here. Now, I have this weird hobby that I've had for years, or actually it's just more or less a fondness of famous last words. Have you ever studied famous last words? You know, it's kind of a joke we use when somebody says they're going to do something and we always go famous last words, but it's actually very interesting. Um, I remember uh, Harriet Tubman, uh, and in 1913, as she was dying, she gathered her family around, and they sang together. And her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. The famous last words of Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate uh, commander, as he was lay dying, said, Now let us go across the river and rest under the shade of the trees. The Italian artist uh, Raphael's last word was simply a word, and he said right before he passed away, Happy. (laughs) 
Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, according to his sister's famous last words were actually three words. He said, wow, wow, wow. I wonder what he saw. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, famous last words was, last of all, or greatest of all, excuse me, Christ is with us. And then finally, uh, Jesus's last words, while there are many different places we can see that he, he, we always think of it as finished, but, you know, he came back and the last words to the disciples um, really were the Great Commission as to what to do with their life. And, you know, that's kind of God's last words to us. The last thing we were told to be doing and be about is to make disciples. And so I'm so glad that you found this podcast and have joined this community of disciple makers as well. You know, one of the most memorable last moments, I think, of Jesus's life for the disciples, I know it was for John, was what we call the high priestly prayer. Now, John chapter 13 through 17 is basically one evening uh, from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting that a third of John's gospel is one evening. Isn't that amazing? If Jesus lived 33 or 34 years, that a third of his book would be about one night. Man, that was a heck of a night, wasn't it? Well, that night, as they did the Last Supper and he washed the disciples' feet and they began to stroll, they were strolling out across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they got there, we have this recorded prayer. It's the entire chapter of John 17. And it's called the High Priestly Prayer. Most all of this chapter is red letters. It's Jesus speaking. And I'm not going to take the time to read it to you in this uh, podcast today. I would ask you to pause this right now and go ahead and read it yourself, John 17. What you'll find, and we find as we read this, is that there are three sections here. In the first section, we see Jesus praying for himself. Interesting there, isn't it, that Jesus is about to depart to go with the Father and You know, we have this imagery that he was always thinking about others, and of course, he often thought about others. But in this prayer, he spends the first third of this prayer, the first part of this prayer at least, praying to God the Father. And one of the most interesting parts of this prayer is what he says in verses 4 and 6. Let me read that to us. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I want to pause here for a second and think about this in relation to what Paul's encouraging us to do in this passage of Scriptures in Romans. Jesus is having a moment with the Father, and the disciples are listening. Now, think about this. He's basically saying, I brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In other words, here we see Jesus saying in John chapter 17, verse 4, that if you want to bring God glory, do what he told us to do. He says, this is how I brought you glory, by being obedient to the work you gave me to do. So oftentimes we think bringing God glory is raising our hands in a worship service or singing loud or going on a mission trip or doing things like that. But right here in this prayer from Jesus, we see that if you want to bring God glory, Just be simply obedient to what he's called you to do. And he says here, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The disciples must have jaw been on the ground at this point because Jesus is now recalling what life was like before he came to earth. 
He's saying, basically, restore this glory that I had with you. But it's not before he came to earth. He's saying before the world began. He's reminiscing of that life in the Trinity before he took on this ultimate obedience of being God in flesh. It's a confounding passage of Scripture, but it's also very glorious. And in verse 6, if you're reading along, he says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. You know, oftentimes in disciple-making, one of the questions people have for me is, well, Mark, um, who should I disciple? Well, my response is usually this John 17, 6, whoever God gives you. I mean, Jesus didn't say, uh, I revealed those who I picked. (laughs) He said, I revealed those that you gave me. When we consider that the men or the women in our life that we've been called to mentor, disciple, or lead are gifts from God, it changes the way we think about it. And so the first part of this high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for himself. The second part of this high priestly prayer is Jesus prays for his disciples. And we've already touched on verse 6 there, what that looks like. The third part of this prayer, though, is where Jesus prays for all believers. Now think about this. It's the only place in Scripture we know where Jesus prayed for you. He says, my prayer is not for them alone in verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Hey, you know what? That's you. We are all here in this life of faith because these disciples took seriously what God had called them to do. And so we see here that the greatest apologetic in the world is Christians loving Christians. And so let's go back and look at this passage of Scripture where uh, Paul is telling us to be, love must be sincere, be devoted to one another. You know, in John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says this to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I got to think as the disciples are hearing Jesus on this last night of his life in this high priestly prayer, they must have thought back to earlier in the evening to this new command of loving one another. And this is what Romans chapter 12 in this section is really asking us to focus on. It's authentic love for each other. It's authentic community. It's amazing when you think about all that God has invited us to. And so what is love expressed? Well, it's the real you, verse 9, meeting real needs, verse 10, for the right reason, verse 11, in the right way, verses 12 through 13. So let's take this from the study that Chip Ingram has given us here and break this down, verses 9 through 13, and see what happens here. The real you. Paul is saying here in verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This is who God has called us to to be. You know, when we're about the world and all the things in the world, we're not being true to ourselves. It's not the real us. Uh, Love must be sincere, he's saying here. In other words, be real, be authentic. Verse 10, this is about meeting real needs. Saying, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above 
yourselves. Honoring one another above yourself is understanding what are the needs of my brothers and sisters. What is it that they're longing for? What are the desires of their heart? How can I put their needs in a place of importance in my life? That's another expression of love. Meeting real needs, not perceived needs. And then verse 11, we do this for the right reason. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, there's a couple ways to read this. One is serving the Lord keeps our spiritual fervor. The other is keeping our spiritual fervor causes us to serve the Lord. I think it's the chicken or the egg, actually. I'm not sure which one of those comes first here. But what I know is this, is that when a believer in the body of Christ is serving in zeal, it is undeniable and irresistible. People want something to belong to. People want someone to follow. People want something bigger than themselves. And as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. That's what Paul is saying here. Serve the Lord, serving one another. Verse 12 is doing this in the right way. 12 and 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. He gives us basically five things here to be focused on every day of our life. Number uh, The first one is to be joyful in hope. There is not anything in this world that's going to come our way that God cannot give us hope to overcome. You know, going back to those famous last words, when you listen to the or, or study the famous last words uh, of Christians, uh, what you don't see of those who are deeply committed to Christ, you don't see them scratching and clawing for more time. You, you see them think, saying things like, it's time to go. My race is run. And so being joyful in hope. Folks, if you need another place in the Bible to look for, uh, look in Romans chapter 5 when it comes to hope. Because it's the challenges in life that we endure, or we persevere, that causes endurance that leads to hope. I hope today that you're hopeful. Uh, And with that hope, be joyful. The second here is patient in affliction. In other words, when we're going through a difficulty in time, when we're struggling, uh, we often need patience. Uh, Many of us shake our fist at heaven and demand for it to be over with, but yet God is doing a greater work in us sometimes through the afflictions of life than we could ever get in any other way. So patience is a virtue. It's also a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And then faithful in prayer, we see in verse 12. If someone were describing your prayer life, would they describe you as faithful in prayer? Do you pray every day? Why not? Why would you give up something as valuable and meaningful as prayer? Because the believer has this great gift given to us, which is to be able to commune with the creator of the universe, our Father, through prayer. And so being faithful in prayer is not something we should do. It's something that is a gift to us that we desire to do. Verse 13, he ends here in this section, and we'll end with our time today as well. And he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Who Now, interesting, he says, with the Lord's people. So he's not saying that every random person you meet, you got to you know, share with them. You got to give away all your stuff. He's not saying that. He's speaking here specifically in the body of Christ in this particular passage. 
And he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Who do you know in the body of Christ who's in need? What are their real needs? And how could you go about meeting those needs? You see, this is what a disciple of the Lord Jesus does. And finally, he ends it with two words here that I think are amazing. Practice hospitality. I like that because he doesn't say perfect it. Uh, Just practice it. Now, I got to give a shout out to my wife, Tammy, here, because she, her number one spiritual gift is hospitality. And she is amazing at it. When people are coming over to our house and we have people over all the time, hey, if you'd like an invite, just let me know. We have people come over for dinner all the time and and, and to just meet and to just be friends and sit by the fire pit and anything that we can find to gather with people in our home, we love to do it. And she is amazing at practicing hospitality. You know, there's sometimes the meal's fancy and there's sometimes it's simple. Sometimes we don't even have a meal. We just have dessert. Sometimes we don't even eat anything. We just sit out by the fire in the backyard and we just spend time together being hospitable. Now, I want to encourage you with that to say that anybody and everybody can practice hospitality. How are you doing at that? Is When you think about uh, your life, are you inviting people into your life? Are you treating them with hospitality and being hospitable and, and welcoming and opening it? Uh, because this is one of the ways that we as disciples can truly influence people. Let me leave you today with this thought. Why don't you write down somewhere there on your notes, who is it that the Lord is calling you to to pay special attention to? Who in the body of Christ or at your church or in your small group or maybe somebody in your discipleship group needs a little special attention right now? And whoever the Lord lays on your heart, then I want you to go uh, near to them, and I want you to be joyful in hope with them, to be patient in affliction with them, to be faithful in prayer with them, to share with them, and to practice hospitality. God bless you for the disciple and the disciple makers that you are. I pray this today was encouraging to you and Continue to just let Romans chapter 12 just really give you insights into how to live this Christian life. We'll be wrapping this up next week as we look into these final verses of uh, Romans 12, 14 through 21. If you would like this outline, you can find it on the 419disciplemakers.org and follow along there. It's a great study to do in your home, inviting some people over for a few weeks to just uh, do this as a to start a new group or to just do this study for what it is. I pray the Lord will truly bless you as you continue to, to make disciples for Jesus. God bless. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. 